0: You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings, uh, I'm Jim Finley.
1: And I'm Kirsten Oates.
0: Welcome to Turning to the Mystics.
1: Jim, I thought it might be helpful if uh, we spent some time just going through what these practices are going to be like and what you're hoping they'll be like for the people listening.
0: Yes. You know, when I I started uh, leading retreats, and then I started the Contemplative Prayer Group at St. Monica's Church, is um, what I tried to do was to be faithful to the uh, kind of contemplative, like the archetypal infrastructure of contemplative community like to honor it because it's like in a way they're like transcendental qualities of our being that we're learning to honor and so there's i understood it to be to have three aspects to this Uh, the first is to find your practice and practice it and a practice is any act faithfully entered into with your whole heart that takes you to the deeper place As you learn to practice your practice, which is the daily meditation practice, eventually, little by little by little, all of life becomes practice. That is, you get habituated to that meditative mind day by day. The next aspect of this is to find your teaching and follow it. And the teaching is the teaching that bears witness to the ancient way of the divinity of all things. Like to the generosity of God pouring out as our life. And secondly, offers guidance in it. See, trustworthy guidance in it. And so, as we learn to follow the teaching, eventually you come to realize that life is the teacher. And you're being taught by God to your attunement, to the unfolding of your life, the lives of people around you, to the world. And the third aspect is to find your community and enter it. And the community at the deepest level is your oneness with God that is your ultimate identity. The next circle out from this meditative standpoint is just one other person in whose presence you know you're not alone on this path. <clears throat> that you bear witness to each other as seeking this path which is like a contemplative church. In Buddhism, it would be Sangha, or other to ashram or different traditions. And so as you, you gather, so in that eventually you discover then the whole world is your community. So based on that, I set up my gathering, say, at St. Monica's Church, and I'm modeling this after it, that it has those aspects to it. So with that said then, what we're going to be doing here in these, these times together is I'm going to be offering a text from a mystic And I'm going to be, we'll be turning to the mystic as Lexio. So we'll be hearing the reverberations of God's voice in the mystic's voice speaking to us. And I'll be sharing with you how God speaks to me in the mystic's voice so that you, by listening to the mystic and listening to me, can realize how the mystic is speaking to you in this, and therefore the reading and the reflection on the reading will be our lexio. But what I'll also be doing, in the refle- is I'll be reflecting on what's received. I'll be sharing with you what's given to me as I sit with that, which then invites you to see what's given to you as you sit with that. And this will be our meditatio. This will be our meditation. And this is where, by the way, in this meditative process. If you're inclined to do so because like to your own self be true this is where you might be inclined to journal that's like a free associative kind of open exchange of processing within yourself how would this this, this uh reciprocity of this reflective consciousness back and forth between you and god occur and uh this this medit this lexio and this meditatio will then awaken and reawaken our desire to abide in this. That is when we're in it, we experience it as a kind of a homecoming. You know, like we come to, we come to rest in it. And, uh, and having rested in it, we seek to abide in it. And in that process of that desire to abide, and which is the prayer, we can begin to discover the inclination in the midst of all this to pause maybe mid-sentence, maybe not to say anything, maybe not to think anything, but to kind of to unexplainably rest in this union, beyond thought and beyond words. And that union might be, uh, there are moments that might be very intense actually, but very often it's very, very subtle. It's very, very delicate. And it kind of has its own rhythm to it, just like an intimate conversation between two people. And as it dissipates, you return back to your lexio, you return back to your Meditatio. And then all of a sudden, like there it is again. So it's an unforced way of kind of moving with the grace rhythms of awakening. And so I, I would hope here that these sessions themselves would embody those qualities. But then at the very end, see, at the very end when I lead us into the meditation, as you are given to do so, I'll ring the bell, will bow, be still, and know that I am God. And then just for one minute, ten minutes, fifteen minutes, whatever, is sit with what what struck you about listening to the reflection, either in the mystics words, my reflections on the words, or maybe something that awakened in you that it had nothing to do with what I said. Just like a just a grace kind of unexpected connection with something. And then just sit with that, like to sit in God's presence in this kind of intimate, subtle kind of thing. And that's a very basic way of understanding meditation practice in this, in this whole spectrum from Lexio to Contemplation. Then my thought would be then, as each meditation comes to an end, whether it's one minute or half an hour, you'd ask God for the grace not to break the thread of that connectedness as you go through the day. You'd have an underlying habituated sense of the constancy of that. And of course the thread will break many times during the day, because of reactivity. And we keep an eye on our heart, we watch it, because we know that although we break the thread from our end, that that is never broken from God's end. See? And the constancy of the love that loves us so, in our wavering ways, see, is the gratitude. So then we come back, if you're so inclined, then the next day you'd listen to the same meditation again. And you'd repeat the same prayer, you'd sit with it again, open to it again, the lexio, the Meditatio, the Ask Not to Break the Thread. And so by the end of the week, it would have been one week of learning to live a contemplative way of life. Because what we seek to do then, is we seek to live this way. And we seek to live this way that we might share it with others by the way we're present to them, the way we listen to them, the way we're real with them, the way we're vulnerable with them, the way we care about them. And we can be a healing presence in the midst of the world. like that. So that's my sense of meditation.
1: So Jim, can you take us through the elements of the practice that come after your talk and reflection?
0: So what I suggest to the people is that, uh, that we sit straight and uh, we fold our hands, palms together as in prayer. And we, while seated, we bow. So following the teachings of the Soto Zen Master, Shunru Suzuki, that when we bow, we give ourselves up. If ever you get to a place in life where the only thing you can do is bow, you should do it. So in the light of these traditions, the least and the most we can do is to bow in profound gratitude for the gift of being awakened to this path, the gift of being a human being, the gift of being alive and real in the world, illumined by faith. And so we, we, we bow, so the body prays in the bow. Then I say, uh, and while this way is universal, because we're all children of God, created by God in the image and likeness of God, we're praying here within the Christian tradition of that universal way. And so in the light of that then, I begin with scripture with the Psalms. Be still and know I am God. And uh, the, the person meditating is invited quietly to repeat that after me. Then I take one word off each time to just say the word be. And then I ring the bell three times. And then we, the person then would sit, but based on their inclinations and based on the situation they're in at the time, they may just sit for a minute um, that they have a half hour, they would sit, they would just kind of let let it follow its own givens in their life. And then at the end of that time, I ring the bell once. When the bell becomes silent, we fold our hands and we bow in gratitude for the way, being drawn along this way. Um, this infinite love transforming us into itself unexplainably. And then um, echoing responding to Jesus who in this, how should we pray? He said, say, Abba, Father. And we say, we'll say the Lord's Prayer together, slowly. I'll say it. At the end of that it was, I'll say, Mary, Mother of Contemplatives, pray for us. The response would be pray for us. And I look on, we looked on Mary in these traditions as an archetype of the contemplative soul. He's looked on his servant in her nothingness. Henceforth, all generations will call me blessed and then I'll name two Christian saints, two mystics, to give witness that we're sitting here together in the mystical lineage of the Christian tradition, one with the mystical lineage of all the world's great religions, and uh, that's the practice. Now, in terms then of this pray for us, uh, especially for those who aren't in the Catholic tradition of Christianity or not in Christianity at all, uh, but however, this is true in the other traditions. For example, in Buddhism, this would be veneration of the ancestors. In Hinduism, also indigenous people, the strong sense of um, the, of the ancestors being one with us. In, in the Catholic tradition, uh, one way of looking at it is this: is that when we're when when we're created by God in the image and likeness of God, uh, God, God in creating us, uh, did not have to think up, when God, make this personal, because it's personal to each one of us, that when God created you, God did not have to think up who you might be. From all eternity, God eternally contemplates who you eternally are, hidden with Christ in God before the origins of the universe. This is the unborn you that never began, because God never, 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 never has not known who you eternally are, who God eternally contemplates you to be. And since everything in God is God, this is the divinity of you, which is the person that you are. So when God creates you, makes, you, makes that real in time and space, let like the let it be, God creating stones and trees and stars and you and me, God takes this capacity that, that union that that, that you that, the you that never never began which is also the deathless you which will never die because God will never 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 not know who you eternally are that divine identity is is, is a capacity to be actualized by living it like an infinite zero pregnant with God and God then endows that person that we are that birthless, deathless presence of the person with the human nature. Because all things are created according to their nature. And so we're, our human nature, we're endowed of course with the gift of reason and all the complexities and gifts of being a human being. But the most noble capacity of the human nature is the capacity to recognize the person. That is, I can intimately realize That through the generosity of God, the depths of God is given to me as the depths of myself. That I am a Kapax Dei, I'm a capacity for God. That capacity is actualized, it's awakened in my nature, which is spiritual experience. It's the spiritual awakening, which these mystics will be talking about. It's at the heart of the Gospel. And then in the awakening, I say yes to it, because love is never imposed, it's always offered. So I awaken to this love that gives itself to me, and I then respond by giving myself in love to the love that gives itself to me. And in that reciprocity of love, my destiny is fulfilled on this earth. Now this love, this love bond, which is our deepest identity of God identified with us as a person, is also woven into our love for each other. That is, we're siblings of the infinite. We're brothers and sisters of infinite love. And so we experience the love of God in and through our love for each other. We're bonded together in this love fabric, oh, which is the deathless nature of love in our passage through time. Now, uh, in our passage through time, born in time to realize this, we we, we, we disappear. See? That um, we, we disappear into death. Telda Magberg says, um, God says to her, do not fear your death, for when that moment comes to me, I will take in my breath and your soul will come to me like a needle to a magnet, see. So when God inhales and takes us, we go back home, like lesson learned, we're on this earth to learn to love. That love in God, in death, so the dead aren't dead. They're not annihilated, they're consummated. And they don't go anywhere because in God we live and move and have our being. We're all interwoven. All the dead are here. All the angels are here. We live in an interconnected interiority of God's life. And the, the and the the, the the saints who have given themselves to God in an extraordinary way, um, who are in God, they're even having a heightened sense of their receptivity to us. And... Uh, Therefore, to pray to the saints, like the intercession of the saints. So in a way, it's an unmediated divine union, God. We are the direct manifestation of God's manifested presence. But there's also the mediations of unmanifested presence through our love for each other. And so to pray to the saint, like pray for us, is a kind of act of devotional sincerity uh, to those who are in God, interceding with us to help and guide us to God. And that's kind of the intuition. Mm behind the, the litany of the saints and praying to the, to, uh, for the for saints to guide us.
1: Mm, that's really beautiful. You made a statement in there about um, the, the body praise. Could you just talk a little bit more about that?
0: Yes, um, you, you actually you see more of this in yoga overtly. Uh, and, you, uh, and you also see it in Buddhism on the emphasis on the breath. On body, but it's also very much grounded in Christianity as as incarnate infinity in the body. So, uh, when we pray, our whole being prays. Our whole being prays. So, if we we make in the Catholic tradition, we make the sign of the cross. We fold our hands in prayer. There's like bodily postures of reverence, and in that bodily posture of reverence, the body is praying. Mm. And so, uh, when we bow, then. The the vow itself is the prayer. It's a kind of a liturgy of the body, expressing the intention to give ourselves to God, who's infinitely given to us. And so there's that sense of the holiness of the body.
1: Mm, beautiful. And it's a way of uh, grounding ourselves more fully in our entire being, which is where we find God more more in the entirety of our being than just, it is. just
0: in now. It, it really is. And and I think also what's true is. A, so when I lead these meditation retreats, and there's usually 20 minutes of shared silent prayer. So there'd be anywhere from 60 to 150 people just sitting there in complete silence. And there's a kind of a communal reverence of the, um, since the communal sincerity of, of sitting in that kind of reverential attentiveness that's grounded in the body. And um, so, uh, Uh, I mean, I I think that's the feeling to it. I mentioned, too, about, uh, once, too, I showed that, there's a story that there was a ballet dancer who came from New York to see Merton, after Merton wrote Merton's uh, The the Seven Story Mountain, when his autobiography went on the New York Times bestsellers list and people were contacting him. And this ballet dancer from New York, he was, I think, like an atheist, whatever. Anyway, he told, Merton, he said, you know, he, he was at the mass that the monks were celebrating the Eucharist. He said, I just don't get the mass, I don't get it. And so the Merton said, he, well, he said, the mass is really kind of a ballet, really. So that liturgical, like the ceremony liturgical rhythm, like all of reality in miniature, acting out the love of God that permeates. It's parallel to the Japanese tea ceremony. It's a very prescribed ritual of the body, you drink the, You hold it in a certain way, you drink it in a certain way, and it bears witness to the divine order that permeates the complexity of all things. And so the body celebrates that. And also, and we'll see in these mystics too, we, more, we go more and more deeply into our body. It's, uh, it's, in the, it's hidden in the ground of the body uh, that embodies the love that we manifest in the world.
1: So for this community, this online community, we might uh, recognize ourselves in a community of people even though we can't see each other and be with each other, but that that sense you described that that when we sit, we sit not only with each other in this this online community but also with the communion of the saints and all of those past, that uh, we're all in community together, we might open our bodies to that yes. experience.
0: Exactly, uh, you know, when, when I leave these retreats, the meals are in silence as the sittings. And as, as, as the time grows in our time together, there's like a growing sense of gratitude for the gift of being with each other, kind of gathered together in our own, each in our own unique way for this one intention of deepening this union. And so there it's very, it's concretized in being with each other. But it's important to realize though that when you then go to your home to sit and practice, that when you're sitting in practice in the interiority of things, uh, you're sitting with people who are sitting in prayer all over the world. Not only that, it extends out further. When we sit in practice, we're sitting in oneness with the holiness of the human family, that the whole family is all woven together in God. And when we sit in this prayer, we draw close to this all-encompassing center where we're all held together in the love of God. I think it also extends out then to um, everyone throughout the world, people we've never met. Thomas Merton once said, perhaps the people whose lives we'll touch the most deeply are people we will not meet until after we are dead that we're all interconnected with each other. And then it extends out to those who are what we call dead, who are in God. And so the living and the dead, the saints, all who sit, those who don't sit, the whole human family. So we're celebrating divine interconnectedness, like we're celebrating the unity of all things, so that we can give witness to it by the way we treat each other, by the way we, as the Buddhists would say, the way we treat all sentient beings. The way we teach the gift of the earth. Yeah. And oh, I'll say too, let's say you're sitting and um, uh, you come out into the living room and uh, your husband or your wife or your little boy or little girl is there. You, you sit with them. That is, you sit in the depths of the preciousness of who they are, unexplainably. And therefore, it deepens our bonds. Uh, with the gift of daily interactions with the people that we live with every day.
1: Mm. Yeah. Sounds like uh, we can find a sense of sacred ground or holy ground on our, in our own home, on our own chair or our own cushion.
0: That's it. And that's what I meant too when I say that, that we sit still because there's no place to go. And so Eliot talks about the axis of the turning world, the still point and we're sitting at the axis of the turning world, and we sit there. And then it, as it, as that spirals out, it configures itself in the unique configurations of our relationships, our situation, our shifting givens. We start to see the divinity of those constantly shifting patterns, um, and our life is something holy. Yeah.
1: So Jim, you'll be offering a weekly reflection for eight weeks, say, uh, on Thomas Merton. How can we use that as a daily practice? So is, is a, can we listen to the same talk over a seven day period? Yes. Is that helpful to us?
0: There'd be, be one way to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'd be the initial time you listen to it, and there would be the first time you'd sit with it. Then what you might do after you sit with it in prayer, meditation, you might, if you're so inclined, you might want to journal. You might want to write out what came to you, or what questions that it raises, or how does it bear upon your life, or where are you at with it. <clears throat> then the next day, you listen to it again, and after you sit with it, you journal again. See where are you at with it, like this. So at, by the end of the by the by the end of the week you would have sat with that first meditation seven times. And what you'll find if you choose to do this, if you read your journal reflection, the seventh one, it'll be different than the first one. Mm. And it'll be because it's path talk. You know I mean? There's this kind of deepening through sustained exposure where repetition is not redundancy. Someone once said that when when we sing a hymn, we sing a joyful hymn unto the Lord. When chanting, we deepen the capacity to listen. So this is a kind of a chanting or or mantra. It's a kind of a language, a deepening receptivity, see, to this presence of God in our life, and and that would really be a, a very nice practical way to get our groundedness in this, really.
1: Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Just to close off this section, uh, in your you have mentioned a few times that when you do this in retreat form or with your sitting, when you've done it with your sitting group. There's always a question and response time. And although we can't do that live every time you lead a practice, we are going to do it uh, intermittently throughout this podcast. So we really encourage people to send their questions and concerns and uh, we'll take some time to address them throughout the the podcast.
0: Yes, exactly. And I I would say, too, we're kind of finding our way here Mm -hmm. on the mechanics on exactly how we're going to do it. But also, in, I, I think it's just, as you listen to these reflections, it's really more listening to the tonal quality of what's being said. Like there's a certain rhythm, or a certain um, uh, kind of intimate uh, depth. And it touches you in the way that it uniquely touches who you are in, the, in relationship to this in your situation, and it can give rise to questions, like the what about, which are the seekers' questions, their path questions, like how how does it relate to this, how does it relate to that? So there'll be an opportunity then, at the end of each of these sections on each mystic, be an opportunity to uh, share with each other at that level, these questions.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Centre for Action and Contemplation. Please consider rating it, writing a review, or sharing it with a friend who might be interested in learning and practising with this online community. To learn more about the work of James Finlay, please visit jamesfinlay.org. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions, So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon.
0: Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.